to, to go into. The first Easter sermon is my title. When was the first Easter message preached? Obviously, there was not a lot of preaching on the first Easter. That's when it all happened. My question is, when was the first time in the Bible people preached about Easter? Let's just preach that message today. Since you can't go wrong preaching the Word of God. You know, every year as pastors, we're tempted to look for a new way to spin the same story. But if you keep doing that too long, you'll miss the actual story. And I think that the story is good enough to repeat just by itself. I think that the best part of the story is the part we no longer preach because we look for a new way to impress the American culture. But this is not good. Every now and then we just need to remember the exact story of what happened there so that we can, we can realign ourselves to Jesus and our worship for Him. And so today I just want to preach the first Easter sermon. Everybody say in Jesus' name. And you, you can be seated today. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. To, man, was that awesome or what? Our choir, our praise singers, our musicians. Whew, man. Hola, hermano Jorge. Good to see you back there, man. Y'all know we have a new fish tank? Yeah, new fish tank. Two fish tanks now. We have two fish tanks. Yeah, thank you, Lord. The first Easter sermon. We look back to the death, the burial, and the resurrection, so we never forget what Jesus did for us. But can you imagine the first time that the message was ever preached? Let's look it up. It was 50 days after Easter. You see, Jesus was killed and rose on the third day, and then he proves that he is alive for 40 days with what the Bible calls many infallible proofs, which is ways that there's no way to doubt that this same Jesus who was killed lives again. Everybody say 40 days. 40 days of celebration. He's not dead. 40 days proving he's alive. He's not dead. Here's my scars. I'm the same one before the cross. You saw them kill me. You saw them stick that, that spear in my side and hit my heart. You saw me die. I'm the same one. For 40 days they celebrated. This is where much of Christianity has been stuck. 40 days. We still highlight the 40 days in the majority of Christian denominations today. We still celebrate the fact that he got out of the grave, and that's where we spend most of our time. But more happened than just Jesus proving he was alive. That's just part of it. We don't just come to church and celebrate the fact that he lived again. What good does it do to celebrate the fact that he lived again if you won't? You can't celebrate that. I can't celebrate the fact that he lived again. If people in this room today are going to not live again, I'm still pretty sad. I want to be happy on this Easter. Y'all look so beautiful and handsome. I want to be happy. I cannot be happy just because the Lord is okay. I want you to be okay. So he left his followers with instructions after these 40 days. He told them, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. It will be poured out upon you. And then he ascended into the heavens. Around 10 days later, which creates our 50 days after Easter, we get to the day of Pentecost, where they are all waiting in an upper room, just like Jesus told them to do, and that's where things get really exciting. After the crowd had gathered round on the day of Pentecost, after these, these disciples, 120 of them, began to receive the Holy Ghost, a crowd began to gather round, and this is where Peter stood up and began to preach the first Easter message. Isn't that kind of cool? The first Easter celebration was actually at Pentecost. 
The first time the preacher got up and said, let's talk about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus was at Pentecost. It was a massive crowd. Even back then, the crowd gathered to church at Easter. They wanted to celebrate. They wanted to talk about it. They wanted to look at it. And of course, it was different for them like it is for us because we've kind of been removed for a while. We know a lot more about it. We're, we're 2,000 years removed. But for them, it was their first Easter. It was their first time to go and really talk about the death, burial, resurrection. They didn't get to do it on the day like we do because they didn't understand what was happening on the day. So it was at Pentecost when Peter stood up, one of the main disciples of Jesus, and he began to preach. You ready to go there today? Acts 2 and 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Heed my words. Listen up very closely. For these men, these are not drunk as you suppose they are. The introduction to the first Easter message is, we're not crazy. <laughs> like such of you believe we are today. How many people are going to Pentecostal churches all over the world today looking at folks like, have you all been drinking? I love it when new guests come in. Sometimes I like to see their faces as we're dancing and shouting and running around. They're just like, this is not the Methodist church I grew up in. <laughs> what is happening around here? This is how he began to start his Easter message. And I want to start the same way. I have to debunk the idea that we are wild people and we're crazy. We are normal people that have been filled with a supernatural power. We are not on a drug. We have not been drinking. Peter said, we're not drinking alcohol. It's just 9 in the morning. How could I get this wasted this early? <laughs> Let's see what time is it. We're 1140. Yeah, I mean, it's still a little bit early. Some of us have been going early this morning worshiping and praising God. So the first thing he did was he got rid of all the skeptics in the room and he said, half of y'all thinking we're crazy, half of y'all thinking we're drunk, but think about it for a second. We are not drunk. We are not on a drug. There is nothing from this world that makes us like this. There is nothing from this world to produce something you see in me. I have a question for anyone today, and I don't mean any disrespect, because I'm thankful for everyone who's accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. That's a great start. I'm thankful for that. But when you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, did they think you looked drunk? Because they told you that when you did that, you got the Holy Ghost. But they did not actually measure you with the Scriptures. How come when you got the Holy Ghost, nothing happened to you? Because it looked like they were drunk on alcohol because they were so filled with the Spirit, it produced an outward sign to everyone who was watching. Is that what happened to you when you first got the Spirit? So in this moment, you've got to choose to side with man's doctrine or God's word. And all this talk about, I don't do religion, well, you are. All this talk about how I don't do religion, that's man. Exactly my point. Accepting Jesus as your personal Savior and receiving the Spirit in that moment with no evidence is man's doctrine, and you are religious. Because you have drank the Kool-Aid of a bunch of rich preachers out there who wanted to build their churches and make it easier to get into heaven. Look for the evidence, church family, guest. Did you really get the Holy Ghost like they did? Look, I've got it. I'm not preaching this because I'm insecure about what I've got. I want you to have what I have. I want you to have the Holy Ghost. I want you to have the power. If you could get this, you would not need your alcohol anymore. If you could get this, you would not need to go get drunk again because you'd get something better. Yeah. 
with no hangovers. So, so watch in the beginning of the Easter message. The Holy Ghost is real and notable power. It is from another world. It's supernatural. That's number one in the sermon on Easter. Number two, Acts 2 and 16. But this that you're seeing, all of this, is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Because Peter was preaching to Jews and not to Gentiles, he decided to use their own Bibles to teach out of. Their own records. The prophet Joel was someone they all looked up to. And the reason why he used their prophet is because these are the same people that killed Jesus. And you got to be careful. You don't just roll up on them being like, hey, trust me, it's, this is real. You've got to prove it to them or they'll kill you too. So what he did was he began to use their own prophecies that were recorded to prove that this was foretold years ago. And we are just now seeing it happen and come to pass. Verse 17, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. This is that. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Everybody say young people. Young people will be used. Oh, and their culture, it was only for the elders. But when Jesus begins to fill people with the Holy Ghost, you have the spirit of the elder in you. You have the spirit of the eldest in you. You have the spirit of the one true creator in you. Now it doesn't matter how young you are, when you've got the power of Jesus in you, you have now the ability of the elder. It's a good Easter message. Your, your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even the elders still have a purpose. Oh, pastor, I'm just too old, but you can dream. I know you take three naps a day. You can dream. Come on, somebody. All I do is take naps. Why don't you get a dream for this generation? Let God talk to you. He can speak to the elders. He can use the young people. This is for everybody, everywhere. Well, it's probably just for like rich folks. No, verse 18, and on my men's servants, and on my maid servants, on the folks that worked at the bottom of the economy. <laughs> this is good news, y'all. This is great news. I will pour out of my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. Somebody say, this is that. This, what you see in Acts chapter 2, is fulfillment of prophecy from hundreds of years before, coming to pass before their eyes. Then Joel says that things will happen in the atmosphere, and things will happen in the earth. Verse 19, I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke will take place. And people will be in awe of what happens in the last days. It doesn't necessarily say this part's good or bad. In fact, the word blood indicates that it might not all be good. But not only does he prophesy the outpouring of the Spirit, but Joel prophesies, and I've never seen this before until last night, but Joel also prophesied how bad things would be in the atmosphere and in the earth. Do you feel what's happening and shaking in our world? The Spirit is being poured out now like never before, and the earth is shaking now more than ever before. There are crazy things happening all over the atmosphere. Turn on the weather channel. Look at what's happening in the world. And it seems like this world is falling apart. But at the very same instance, it seems like God will just give anybody the Holy Ghost. This is that. 
This is the last days. This is the last days where the earth will crumble, but the Spirit will be poured out. We are living in that day. Thank you, Lord. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. Look at the signs of the times around you to understand that if it gets bad in the earth, God will pour out His Spirit in the earth. If it gets bad in the earth, God will pour out His Spirit in the earth. All this talk about our environment and global warming tells me, let's go get the Holy Ghost. Every time a scientist says an asteroid's on the way, I'm like, good, let's go get the Holy Ghost. Because the crazier this world gets, the more I know that God is going to pour out His Spirit. This is that. Don't be afraid, though. Watch this. Don't be afraid of crazy stuff. Verse 21. And it shall come to pass. This is still that same prophecy from Joel. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter who you are. This was not a method of salvation. This was about the people to be saved and whoever you are in the last days. It doesn't matter who you are in the last days. When things get crazy, if you would just be willing to call on the Lord, your Savior, He will save you in these crazy last days. He is no respecter of persons. If you want to have it, you can have it in the last days. Then Peter preaches about Jesus in the next section of his sermon notes. Acts 2.22, and he didn't have notes. The Holy Ghost was just giving it to him. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God, proven by God to you by miracles, wonders, signs, which God did through him in your midst. You know it. Don't lie. You've seen it is what he was telling them. You know it's true. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and the foreknowledge of God saying it wasn't an accident. This is all revelation to them. They thought that he just showed up. It was just an accident. Peter's given him revelation. Jesus was here on purpose. Jesus was here by the foreknowledge of God. Jesus was pre-planned. You did not catch him off guard in the garden. You did not catch him off guard when Judas betrayed him. You didn't catch him off guard whenever you killed him. He's only here because he chose to be here. You didn't kill him. This wasn't your plan. This was his plan. Them Jews thought they were tough. Oh, we got that guy. We killed him. No, it wasn't even your plan. It was his plan. You don't get any of the glory. This was his idea. But it was by your hands. It was his plan, but it was through your hands. It was his plan, but it was your fault. It was his plan, but you're the reason why it had to happen. He's the Savior, but all the guilt comes to you. It's because of you and your sin that he did it. Therefore, I'm the reason why he had to die. You need to point to yourself on this Easter and say, I'm the reason why he died. Some of you don't want to do it, that's fine. I'm the reason why. I'm the reason why. I'm the reason why. He came because of me. He foreknew me and he still came to die for me. I am the reason. I'm the reason. He didn't just come die. I'm the reason why he died. I'm the reason why he died. It's because of me that he came and he suffered and he died. I know you don't want to feel guilt, but it's by your hands. You did this. It's because of you. Look, on Easter, we've got to own it. We've got to own it. We danced right over the part where it's our fault. This is how we can shout and put a hat on and go eat and never even dedicate. This is how we can put our clothes on and say, this is my worship, God. He don't care about how pretty you look today. You killed him. Well, I'll, I'll wear something nice and I'll make him feel better. No. You killed him. He died because of us. Don't dress yourself out of it. It's a sober moment. It ought to be sober. As Americans, we just, we just can't stomach this. But it's reality. It's because of us that he died. we got to grasp this concept. Peter wasn't holding back. 
He said it was by you. You've taken by lawless hands in verse 23. Have crucified and put him to death. You crucified and put him to death. We don't really talk about the crucifixion. We talk about it. We just say he was put to death. We say Christ died for us. But what about the crucifixion part? It's not just that he died. It's how he died. We'll talk about that later. Verse 24. Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by death. Nope. No grave is ever going to hold that body down. Then Peter quotes the Jews' favorite king. Remember, he's a a good preacher. It's good to use the Bible when you preach stuff. Even the first message on Pentecost, they use Scripture to prove it. If you can't use Scripture, then you're not anointed by God. The Scripture will defend everything God's telling you. Or God's not talking to you. Back it up. These, these preachers, these people that go out there saying, I feel a word, you better have a scripture to back up the word you feel. And that's what he's doing. That's what I'm doing. Okay, let's go to what, what they talked about on King David a little bit. Let me summarize with, with verse 29. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch, David. That he is both dead and buried, he's gone. And his tomb is with us this day. Therefore, being a prophet, David was a prophet, not just a king, he was a prophet. He might not have known it, but whenever he was worshiping and he was writing those psalms, he was prophesying. Because he was in the spirit. And he was prophesying as a king. He was prophesying. And so he's now referencing what David wrote and what David said. He did that before 29. And now he's summarizing what the scriptures mean. So he says here that, that he's a prophet. And knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, that is, he would raise up the Christ, the Messiah, because it was prophesied long ago that there'd be a Messiah come. And so he was prophesying that this Christ would sit on a throne, that this Christ would be a king, that this Christ would be raised up, not stay down. Verse 31, he foreseeing this spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in hell or Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. And this this Jesus God has raised up. Using David, their most favorite king, to prove to them that this is the same Jesus and this was the plan from the very beginning. Of which we are all witnesses. We've all seen it. Don't lie. You know you saw it is what he's telling them. Verse 33. Therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He poured out this which you now see and hear. He brings it all back full circle and he says now you can see it and now you can hear it. I ask you again. When you got the Holy Ghost did anybody see anything? Did anybody hear anything? Because most folks get the Holy Ghost these days like, "Mm -hmm, mm -hmm." you are my Savior, my personal Savior. I'm not making fun of them. I'm showing you what they do. And then the preacher gets up and says, now you've got his spirit. And they go, I do? Oh, I trust you. I believe that I do. But I don't have anything to see. I have nothing that they hear. When this happens to them, they have to have something that we see and something that we hear. You can see when someone gets the spirit of Jesus. Look, some of y'all have apple pie and you make noises. Oh! Mmm, that ice cream. Oh! You get the Holy Ghost. Mm. Mm. I felt something. That's good. That's the spirit. You don't have the Holy Ghost, I'm telling you. You know you don't. You know you don't really have it. You're telling yourself you do. You can be deceived. You can, you know, I'll prove it to you. People think men these days think they're women. When they look in the mirror, they're obviously not, but they think that they are. You can believe things that are absolutely not able to be proven right inside your head. You can also think you've got the Holy Ghost. 
Thank God there are signs of the Holy Ghost or we would all be deceived. Thank God we can know we have the Holy Ghost. Thank God it can be seen. It can be heard. Thank God there's a way for me to know I've got the Spirit living inside of me. Earlier I mentioned to you, most Christians only celebrate the departure, the ascension, the, the out-of-the-grave moment. But they should be celebrating the outpouring. A lot of churches spend a lot of time at Easter talking about he's out of the grave. But they miss the whole point of the grave. They miss the whole point of him leaving and ascending. The entire purpose has a grand finale. And the grand finale is whenever he sends back his spirit which was the entire purpose of him leaving in the first place. He said, don't just stand here and watch in the clouds. The angel said it to the group watching Jesus ascend into heaven after 40 days. He said, don't just stand there. Go to Jerusalem and get the promise of the Father. So he's not dead. He's alive. But it goes further than that. He has not left us. He has filled us. Y'all, there's so much more to the story. And that's why Peter didn't just preach about an empty tomb. I hope all the other pastors are preaching this way today. Because that's what Peter did. I hope the Catholic Church is preaching it. Because they say, I think Peter's their first pope. John 7, 37. Let's keep going because Peter's a good preacher. He's doing a good I'm going to plagiarize him today. On the last day, that great day of the feast, I'm sorry, that's not John, that's not Peter. Let me give you a reference on this one. On that last day, this is Jesus, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, this is a reference to the point I just made, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his, out of his heart or belly in the King James, out of the inside of him will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke, in verse 39, but this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive. Not now receive, would receive. Jesus preached about the infilling of the Holy Ghost before you could ever get it. So that when it would come, they could get it. Jesus set them up. So if Jesus said there's going to be a spirit you can receive, when did they receive it? They can't get it yet, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet. When was he glorified? When he ascended up into heaven and he left this earth, the Lord was glorified. After the glorification of Jesus Christ, now you look for the Spirit and filling. He didn't fill anybody with the Holy Ghost. During the 40 days, he was walking around. Believing on Jesus for 40 days did not give him the Spirit. Because he said, you can't even get the Spirit. You can't even be full on the inside out. Let it be a river flowing out. You can't even have it until he leaves. What is the very first moment people began to receive the Spirit after Jesus was glorified? It's in the book of Acts chapter 2, and I'm preaching about it right now. Do you really have the Holy Ghost today? No, you don't if you're not doing it like they did. Every good Easter sermon needs a good ending, and I think... Peter, probably, probably one of the best preachers ever, right? He had to have a good ending to his sermon. Let's see what he said. Verse Acts 2.36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God, God loves you. Well, no, that's not what he said. I'm glad you all agree with false doctrine, but... Musicians, before you come, I'd just like to say that you matter. You're valuable. You're special, and I can do anything. You're beautiful. You're handsome. I'll go ahead and come and pray now. That's not how he closed his message. He wasn't a woke preacher. He wasn't a modern preacher. He was a Bible, Holy Ghost-filled preacher. What did he do to close his message? Regardless of the fact that he could die, for preaching it, he pointed his finger at him and said, you 
did this. And then he stopped preaching. He put the mic down. They didn't have altar calls back then like we do. Because that's where I would have said, musicians come. Is there a harpist? Who asked the cymbalist? Come playeth. I would have said, right now is a good, a good chance to pray. But, but he just, the Bible says he said that. He said, he said, you believe in one God? Good. Guess what? The one God you believe in is also the Lord, right? The Lord and the Christ. You killed one on the cross that are both at the same time. You killed the Lord and you killed the Christ when you killed Jesus. You killed your master and you killed your Messiah all in one setting. And then he puts the mic down. What you want to do about it? What do you think we should do after hearing something like that? What's left? What do I have to say? Well, tell us what, what's left. Well, that's the same thing that they, they kind of were trying to figure out. And I think their response was good. Let's go to the next one. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They said, Peter, the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? We tell people what to do. And that's why they won't listen to us. You know, I've learned this, Brother Matthew, since you're saying right a lot today. I've learned that it doesn't matter if we want you to receive it if you don't want it. And I've learned that the reason why 3,000 get baptized in one day is because 3,000 wanted to change. Preach it sweet, preach it cute, do what you want to do. At the end of the day, your response comes as soon as you realize he died for you. Everything after that moment is now in your hands. Everybody say, thank you, Lord. Now, you won't hear many in America today preach this kind of closing to their messages. Because we like the part of Easter where we celebrate and we dance. Because Jesus is alive. But how come Peter didn't do it? How come not here? How come why? Because Jesus has always had the Holy Spirit. He was not a sinner needing to be saved. He did not come to the earth and die so he could be saved. We are not celebrating the fact that Jesus overcame his personal problems. We are celebrating the fact that he died for us. So how do you celebrate that without responding the right way? How do you dance on top of the fact that you refuse to repent and he died for you? How do you shout and dress up the fact that he died for you and yet you just casually serve him? There's nothing to celebrate. Not unless you're truly right with God. Now we can celebrate. You won't hear a lot of this in American culture today. You won't hear this part of Jesus. Many churches today are celebrating having a great day, and they don't want to talk about the fact that he died because we made it happen. Y'all, we are guilty this Easter. We are guilty every Easter. And we owe him everything. Everything. I got I got me just let me finish. Peter did not close with he's alive. He closed with why he died. You killed him. He died because of you. And it even gets deeper than this, y'all. We say this, for Christ died for us. But it, it sounds different when you say it like this. Christ was tortured for you. That fits our language a little better, doesn't it? We understand words like Guantanamo Bay and torture and all that. We get it, right? Jesus didn't just die for you. Jesus chose a death that was the worst way a human being could ever die for you. 
and you need prompting for what's next? How far is your heart from God and love if you hear that message and you don't ask what you can do? Waiting for me to tell you what to do? Shouldn't it be natural for you to say I'll do anything? No, it wasn't quick and it wasn't cute. It wasn't easy. It wasn't peaceful. It was one of the most slow ways you could ever die. It was tough physically, emotionally, and mentally. They publicly embarrassed Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. They mocked him. They had a mocked trial, a fake trial. And they used false testimonies, paid off to accuse him. For stuff he never did. Just like our government does today. Y'all understand that, don't you? You read the news, don't you? Nothing's changed. Christians still get persecuted by evil politicians. That's exactly what was happening here. They held a fake trial. They traded him for Barabbas. A notorious criminal. Just like our current day politics. They'll let the drug dealer out, but they'll keep the Christian woman who didn't want to do a bakery for somebody that's gay. It's in our Bibles. It's been 2,000 years. It hadn't changed. Evil is evil. Evil is evil. Corruption is corruption. They did it to Jesus before they ever did it to any lady that was trying to bake a cake for somebody. He chose this, y'all. He chose this way. He didn't just choose to die. He chose the way. And now we can relate to him. He can relate to us. They stripped off his clothes to embarrass him. He wasn't just killed. He was shamed. When women were jumping out of the 9-11 towers, because the towers were burning, they held their skirts down. So no one would see their private parts before they died. Death is not the worst part for some people. It's the embarrassment on the way down. And they stripped Jesus to nakedness, to see his privacy. They knew that about him. We don't think about it. Because we just think, oh, he just died, he passed out. No, he was tortured. They beat him with a cat of nine tails whip, nine pieces of metal on little ropes that ripped off his flesh. Chunks of his flesh were ripped off. He was beaten so bad you could barely recognize who he was anymore. They plucked his beard. They spit on him. They cursed him. They called him names. They took the time to make a crown of thorns and they gashed it into his head to mock him because supposedly he was the king. They made him carry his own cross up the hill to Golgotha, the place of the skull. Everything about it was horrible. They nailed him to it, both hands, his feet together. Soldiers, meanwhile, are gambling for his clothes. While he carries the weight of sin of the entire world, of suffering and shame embarrassment, and they're playing games with his clothes, mocking him, saying, you've saved others, save yourself. Who do you think you are? He had to push himself up, pull himself up to catch a breath, because the crucifixion is actually more about you suffocating than you bleeding out. 
And as the body gets tired of rubbing, scarred, broken, not even scarred, broken back against splintered wood, every push just to live, just to hang in a little longer to fulfill prophecy. He did it all for us because of us. And he didn't deserve any of it. And he slowly dies, taking his last breaths until he suffocates. In his case, the Bible says he gave up the ghost. He willingly laid down his life. I fully believe he had the power to keep breathing. But he said, I'm doing this for you. No man takes my life. I lay it down, is what he said. What was his crime? He claimed to be the Messiah, but didn't fit their interpretation of the scriptures. So he had to die. Because his message would overthrow all of the power of the religious leaders of their day. And it scared them so bad. Just like we as Christians today scare our government. Because our light cannot be extinguished. Our fire cannot be put out. You cannot kill Christians. Not really. Because for every one you kill, you get five more. Persecution doesn't work on Christians. Because for everyone willing to lay down their life, there's a whole group of people saying it must be real. You can't ever put out Christianity in this world. Jesus taught us. After hearing what he did to save us, tell me again why your life is so tough that you can't come to church. Tell me again how finances are tough that you can't give. Tell me again how you got an ache. It's the reason why you can't get to church and you can't pray. Tell me again why it's so hard you can't read your Bible. What are you going through? At the backdrop of the cross, what's your excuse? Don't do it for me. I didn't die for you. For him. Tell me again how your life's so bad here in America. That you can't find time to serve God. Tell me again why persecution is so tough at your job. Are you really going through it? Pastor, you don't understand. Talk to him. Talk to him. Talk to him. You don't have to convince me. I'm not your judge. Talk to him. Tell him why you can't lay your life down. Chances are pretty good you'll never have to die on a cross for him. Our deaths will be nothing compared to his. You know what today is a good day before I come to a close. It's a good day to recalibrate our priorities on this Easter. Tell me again why you're wanting me to hurry because it's 12, 16 p.m. and you're ready to go to lunch. How could you be hungry? I lost my appetite last night studying for this. You can't write these words on a computer and be hungry for anything in this world. Let me tell you what the Lord wanted us to do. One thing he wants to do before we get to our closing. The Lord said, I want you to pull sacrifice back into Easter. And I want you to help my people understand they are in debt because of Easter. We say we're free, but if we're so free, why did those men standing around say, what shall we do? How come they didn't say, let's go party? How come they didn't say, let's go out to eat? How come they did not hear the message of the cross and just go home? Because you cannot hear the message of the cross without saying, I owe you. I've already donated my money. I've already given it. 
the Lord said, I want you to take up an offering today. Because money is about the only way you can ever have somebody feel hurt these days. What's it going to go to, Pastor? Well, it's not going to go to drums of the building because we have refinance for that. We have to use that money for things like that. So what do we need money for? We're going to use money for the two main goals at AFC. When we do extra offerings like this, our children and our youth need to make sure they have a safe place to live for God. And our city needs love. So today, in this basket, when you give your money, your sacrificial offering, it will go to those causes. And it will be reported on our financial statements to prove it. Y'all, we're spoiled at AFC. You know why? Because we're not that church that begs for your money like you've heard rumors of. It doesn't happen here. We don't beg people for money here. I tell you what the Bible says. I tell you what I do. You will stand before the Lord by yourself and you will answer for what you chose to do. I will stand there and the Lord will see my bank account and he will see me giving. You do what you want to do. I'll lead you. You do what you want to do. Today, this is not your tithes. This is not your normal offering. That stuff is our basic stuff that we've got to give. That's expect- Tithes is expected of us. Offering is so that we have something like this to come to. But the abundance... The extra is sacrificial. When you give it our normal offering, your kids get to use the room. You get to have the instruments. You get to have the nice air conditioner. This right here, y'all, this is to make sure that we've got ministry for the most vulnerable in our church because our kids are under attack and a lot of families can't afford it and we need to reach our children and make sure they have what they need. Right? You believe that? Number two, we've got to reach our city. And God's opened up a door for us to go out. And I never want those accounts to be low. And if we're going to give sacrificially, we're going to give to those things. I've already given mine. I've already done it. At some point today in this service, God wants you to give a sacrificial offering individually when you feel the Holy Ghost to say it. Thank you, Brother Dale. Do it now, do it later, but I do have to close in just a moment. It doesn't cost us anything all the time. It doesn't hurt us. Starbucks. Extras. It's Easter, y'all. We bought clothes to show God how much he's worth. And we put them on and got the glory. It's got to cost us. You'll feel better when you do it and you'll get ready to pray too. Watch. Watch. Musicians, y'all can go ahead. We're about ready to close today. I'm doing this now because I don't want to, I don't want to distract from people receiving the Holy Ghost in a moment. Because some of y'all are going to get baptized and receive the Holy Ghost today. This is just one part of what God said. And listen, every year I'm going to do a big sacrificial offering. And it's going to go to ministry causes. That's it. We are not going to take Easter and use it for things that don't matter. We're not doing that with this money. Some things in church matter more than others. This one is sacred. Everybody say sacred. This is the beginning, right? This is the seed. And you expect it every year if you're a member of this church, I'm going to get up here and I'm going to push for an offering. And I'm telling you, this is going to boost those accounts because I don't come harp at you guys. You know, a lot of churches right now are taking up big offerings for building projects, all kinds of stuff, building fun stuff. Do I do that to y'all? No. No. We don't push that stuff down your throat. But today is Easter and the Holy Ghost said, my people have got to get their heart engaged at Easter time and sacrifice. This is a part of your treasure, a part of your heart. Let me close today. Thank you for your gift today. Thank you for participating in the Holy Ghost. It's based on what you feel. It's based on what the Spirit says to you. I'm not giving you an amount. The temptation is, oh, so he died, what do I get, Pastor? Some could care less about his sacrifice. They just want their hand out. 
Oh, good, he died. What do I get? How selfish are we? He gave you his life, and we asked for more. I'd be happy if I had my healing today. Really? What if you don't get your healing today? He gave you his life. He gave you his life. He gave you everything. How could I respond any other way except for, what do I do? Someone tell me, please tell me, I want to do something. I feel like, I feel cut. I feel like, I feel so bad. I feel like I need to do something. I can't just stand here and hear the truth about your sacrifice. Oh, pastor, someone tell me, what do I do? Is there anything we can do? Yes, there is. Yes, there is. And Peter said unto them in verse 38, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's what you can do. For the promises unto you and your children and all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Verse 39, and with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. This scripture never stood out to me until today or yesterday. He said, be saved. I think the King James puts it, save yourselves from this perverse generation. You know what the word perverse means? This is crazy. My wife and I talk about stuff like this a lot. But the Greek word for perverse is scolios. From the root word of scoliosis. You know what scoliosis is? It's when your backbone is crooked. Save yourself from this crooked generation. Do not stay, young people, young adults, Gen Z, do not stay with this generation. This generation is crooked. This generation is left and then right. Left and then right. Up and then down. Sideways back and forth. This generation is so confused. Peter said... Get out of it. Repent. Get out of it. Repent. Get baptized. Get the Holy Ghost. But save yourself. I got a question for you, church family. Listen to me. I know I'm going long. It's Easter. Sacrifice with me. Why did he say save yourself if they're already saved? Hugh, why did it happen? If the cross automatically saves people, then why did Peter get up and look at him and say, save yourself? Come to the altar, repent, get out while you can. Get out of that generation. While, if you keep running with this generation, they will make you perverted. They will pervert you. They will destroy you. Why did Peter bring up this culture? I think he wanted them to look at how messed up people have it. And how messed up people have to be to do something like torture Jesus. Y'all, we're 2,000 years removed from the torture of the most perfect human. And you think they won't do it again to you? Oh, they'll do it to every single one of you. So get out while you can if you think that perversion's bad then and they could kill Jesus you've seen nothing that's on the way our generation is so wicked and evil it has the potential to do far worse things and they are so get out save yourself you're not saved because Jesus died and rose again. You're not saved because you heard the preacher on Easter morning. You're saved when you get baptized. 
Acts 2.41, then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. Listen to this. Baptize in the Greek, Omar, is baptizo here, which means to be immersed. But when it comes to the base word of the word baptizo, it's bapto, which means to be dipped in or covered in. Why do we need to be covered? Genesis 3 and 9, Then the Lord God called to Adam and said, Where are you? said I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked I was afraid because I, I, I had your covering but I lost it when I sinned why are we baptized to be saved we're baptized because the covering we lost in the garden Jesus gave it back to us on the cross You don't just get baptized in water. You get covered again. Your shame is God. Your guilt is God. He became naked so you could be covered. Why do I have to be baptized? Because right now, you're naked. You're hiding from God. You don't feel close. You don't feel like you hear His voice. But if you would come and get baptized, you could be dipped. Dipped, it's the same Greek word, Hugh, as when Jesus dipped the bread in the same cup with Judas. Bapto means to be dipped, to be covered. Which baptism, pastor? Which one do I do? I heard there's three different baptisms in the Bible. No, there's just one baptism. Peter said, be baptized in Jesus' name in the immersion of water to remove all of your sins. But John, John baptized people in water unto repentance, turning from your sins. Is that the only two baptisms I need? What about that third one in Matthew 3 and 11 where where John also said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were with all one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as if a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. Acts 2 and 3, and then there appeared unto them divided tongues as of fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Pastor, which one do I do? All three. For Ephesians 4 and 5 says, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One baptism, three parts. You must repent. You must go down in water in the name of Jesus. And you must be filled on the inside. The only way to truly be covered, to reinstate your walk with God in the garden, is to repent. To go up to that baptistry tank today and the water is ready. And go down in the name of Jesus. Come out of that water. Open up your heart. And get ready to receive the Holy Ghost. And then, and only then, shall you be covered again, clothed again. You know when the Bible says in Acts chapter 2 that you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost comes on you, that that Greek word, you shall receive power, that that actually means to be endued. Endued means to be clothed. It shall be endued with power. Do you know that word endued means to be clothed? Even the Holy Ghost is a covering. It's a powerful covering. 
that protects me from sinning tomorrow. In one moment, you can turn your heart to Jesus in repentance. You can walk upstairs and get baptized. And you can be full of the Holy Ghost before you leave today. It goes either way. Or in one moment, you can repent and receive the Holy Ghost. And then walk up there and get baptized in Jesus. That happened too in the Bible. The first sermon ever preached is this sermon. And that's why you feel the anointing of the Holy Ghost so strong, not because I preached it, but because this is that. This, this, this is that. What we're doing is not new. It's old. It's prophesied. It's foresaw, foreordained. We're just doing what it was already said would happen. It's time for every naked person to get covered. How do you know you're naked? You're hiding. You're hiding. You're hiding. How do I know you're naked? Because you don't want to walk up to the front right now. You're hiding. No, don't look at me. Don't pray for me. You're hiding. If you were covered, you wouldn't mind walking up here. It'd be easy. You know what we get a lot of times at the altar? People who are already covered. They march down here. They come in there and say, oh God, I want your prayers. I want worship. I want to love you. You're already covered. That's why you don't have a problem. The problem is, we got people in this room right now that you're hiding from God and you're just trying to sit back there today and you're going to slip out in a few moments and that's the tragedy of it all. It's hard for you when you're naked to stand up and come to the altar. But it's the only way to ever get you covered again. We lift our hands together. The Easter message is about baptism. The Easter message is about surrender. The Easter message is, Pastor, what do I do? There's only one proper response to hearing that Jesus died for you, and that is, just tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do. If you say it, I'll do it. I am so convinced right now that I need to do something that you just name it and I'll do it. I got good news for you. You've got to repent. You've got to get covered in the blood of Jesus. And you've got to receive the Holy Ghost. It's the best news you could ever hear in your life. You know what the Lord could have said? The Lord could have said, go out there now when you die on your own cross. Literally, he could have said that. But instead he said, just turn to me. Just turn. Just go get wet by faith. And let me fill you with the power of my spirit. Is that so hard? And they that gladly received his word were added on that day. Were baptized and added about 3,000 of them. If you feel gladness right now and you're ready to receive it, you will receive the Holy Ghost before you leave today. You will receive it so easily. If your prayer right now is, God, I'll do anything. If your prayer right now is, God, what do I do? He's got you. You're ready. Close your eyes. Look to Jesus. He is the author. He is the finisher. He bled for you. He died for you. He was tortured for you. Tell me again how hard it is for you to come pray. Tell me again how hard it is for you to get up and be embarrassed in front of the crowd. Tell me how hard it is for you to sacrifice your life for Him. How is it so hard after everything the Lord has done? How is it so hard for us to say, you've got me, Lord. I'll do whatever you want, Father. I'll do whatever you want. Everything you ask, I'm yours. It's time to be baptized in Jesus' name. It's time to repent right now. Let's repent right now. Let's get ready. Someone's going to be baptized. I believe it. We've got the water ready because we had faith that you would today.
everyone in this room today, you ought to leave this place covered up and do with power, filled with the Holy Ghost. Everyone in this room today ought to leave renewed in the Spirit. Make sure you've got your covering back on you. Don't you be naked in this place. He died to cover you. He died to cover you. He was naked so you could be covered. If you don't feel covered today, oh, come to the altar. Oh, come down here and accept what God has for your life. Repent and turn to Him. I'll do anything for you, Lord. I'll do anything for you, Lord. What do I do? Just tell me. My heart is cut.